The Star Wars universe is constantly expanding. But how the heck are you going to keep tabs on it without a holocron? And where in the rim can I score the juiciest news and rumors? Ah, you seek State of the Empire, Consequence of Sound's Star Wars Speculation Podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. We dig into the Sarlacc pit of the internet for the hottest intel in the galaxy far, far away. Make Indiana Jones inquiries and keep watch for the latest on Willow. Find us on consequenceofsound.net or wherever you procure fine podcasts. It's the show you're looking for. Bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know. This is Consequence of Sound. Welcome to Track by Track, a recurring feature here on Consequence of Sound where we explore an album one song at a time with the artist who made it. Discussing the song's origins, tales from the studio, every story that brought this music to life, I'm Tyler Clark, senior writer here at Consequence of Sound, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jordan Lee of Mutual Benefit about his new record, Thunder Follows the Light. If you love Track by Track, our album reviews, or any features here on COS, please consider rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts or rating and reviewing specific episodes on Podchaser. Uh, Your feedback helps us grow and lets us know what you love about the work that we do, Uh, but also how you think that we could improve, or uh, even how you listen to our podcasts. So, it's really important. Reach out to us by leaving a review or hitting us up on the Consequence Podcast Network Facebook page. We are an independent music outlet, and it's you fine folks that make it possible for us to keep exploring music in new and exciting ways. So, you know, connecting with you about how you experience our content is majorly important to us. So thanks so much for tuning in again, and now let's uncover all the stories behind Thunder Follows the Light with Jordan Lee of Mutual Benefit. All right, Tyler Clark from Consequence of Sound here talking with Jordan Lee of Mutual Benefit. Jordan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning to you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for talking to us today. Thank you also for uh, for making such a, uh, a beautiful record. The new one is called Thunder Follows the Light. Is that is that that that's right, right? <laughs> that's correct. That's good. OK, good. It's, it is early. So I'm, I'm just I'm just double checking. Um, well, awesome. So let's get right into it. You know, as uh, as you know, uh, you know, we're going to be sort of doing a, uh, a, a little bit of a track by track breakdown of the record. Uh, but first, mm-hmm. we can uh, we can start by just uh, you know talking about some of uh, the background and inspiration and process involved uh, with recording this one. Um, now, I know that I was reading in your some of the press materials that um, uh, one of the inspirations for this record was um, as maybe the uh, album title suggests an actual. Storm. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh yeah. Um, usually, uh, when I start working on a new record, there's some sort of moment that uh, maybe doesn't seem like a big deal, but it, it it will be a big thematic inspiration for me. And so I was uh, visiting some friends who who lived uh, upstate, and there was a big thunderstorm, and for some reason. I was really paying attention to the fact that uh, the lightning would strike and then later the thunder would happen. Um, 
And it was, you know, this time of political turmoil in, in the United States. And I was thinking about all the anxiety that my friends and I were feeling and how maybe the best way to sum it up is that there's things in motion right now. And I think we'll be feeling the effects of them a little bit later. So it feels like we're kind of living in a, in this in-between time. I think that is a really uh, good way to put it. And I know that that's something that like, yeah, you, you do have that sense of like, that there's still so much more to so much more to drop and, and still so much, you know, that, that as bad as it seems now, it may, uh, get worse or or different as as things go on. So we'll start with the uh, the first track. Then that's probably a good place to uh, to begin. Um, that's uh, <laughs> written in lightning. And uh, one of the things I feel like that is mm-hmm. a uh, was a really you know after having listened to the record a few times now, um, did feel like a really um, powerful sort of like opening statement um, for both uh, the sort of like thematic. Uh, concerns of the record and also the the sort of sonic sound of the record and and I think that you know you obviously you 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 begin with the 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 metaphor and and and, and you know discussing actual storms um, in this track uh, and I'm just wondering how you set about reflecting the like idea of storms and that kind of stuff in you know in some of these arrangements. Winds have been rising, torrid and frightening. Clouds have been gathering always. Yeah, this one you you got it right. I definitely wanted to set the tone and make the listener really clear uh, what they were getting into. Um, And uh, I was trying to think about uh, all the different effects of uh, thunder and lightning. And I uh, was proud to get down to the nitty gritty of ions colliding. (laughs) Um, But um, because I was setting the tone for the whole record, I wanted to put a counterbalance to, you know, all the, the chaos and, and uncertainty. And so I was having a lot of trouble uh, thinking of a poetic way to talk about um, uh, the counterbalance. And so I ended up going with just the most blunt thing I could think of, which is love being an armor against it. Um, and uh I went back and forth for a long time because uh, it's it's a little bit cheesy to just be like, okay, things are really scary, but we like need to love each other. Um, but the more I sat with it, the more I, I thought, you know, there's there's times to obscure what you're trying to say, but this I I want to risk being a little cheesy to say exactly what I'm thinking right now. Yeah, it, feel, it almost feels like it's a time in history that, like, favors that kind of directness, you know? Totally. And I think that, I that that actually, I had, I had a note on that as well. I, I really liked that line. I thought that that was a, um, again, that that, that, that in, in addition to sort of uh, the, the sounds of the song, I thought that that served as a really, like, um, powerful sort of through line for the rest of um, the stuff on the album, the, that, that, that idea of like the power of 
the power of love and like the power of um the interpersonal in in you know these sort of times of turmoil yeah definitely and as you might be able to imagine i I get a little neurotic uh, when i'm working on music especially the closer it gets to the end where you can't change anything (laughs) and so uh the intro to to the song uh because i was thinking this would be a lot of people's introduction to the whole album i would just i kept changing it and changing it and uh um, Jake, the violinist I work with a lot. Uh, at some point, I was in the mixing session in Chicago, and I didn't like the intro I had recorded, and so I called him and asked like if he could do it that afternoon so we could mix it in to the record. And uh, <laughs> rip, the ba- was... rip the bandaid off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I finally ended up being happy with it. Well, that, that's great. Uh, I think, like, like I said, I think it was a, a really uh, winning opening track, and it moves then to one of, uh, I think, my favorite tracks on uh, the record, New History. It echoes all throughout this town past more present than it seems With pain reminders all around This one felt like there was a lot to unpack, at least for me. Oh, I'm I'm glad you feel that way. It it was one of the first singles that came out, and I I was having a lot of trouble summarizing it, because as a song, there's not actually that many words in there, and so people can kind of interpret it how they they want to. But for me, it, it started because I was I'm trying to visit my extended family a little bit more, and I ended up in the Appalachian region um, quite a bit while I was working on the record. And there's, you know, just this eerie feeling of all this industry leaving and uh, uh, living with the past, just like sitting right there and trying to kind of like be in the present. Um, And, you know, I live in Brooklyn, so uh, I feel the same way when I see these fancy condos come up um, and erasing some landmark that was there before it. And, uh, And so because I've been on this tip of just trying to learn more and more about the history of where I'm at at that moment, I guess the the best example would be while I was writing this, uh, there was the huge debate about the Confederate statues. And uh, I can see why some people who grew up in those areas might feel a connection to that. You know, I don't agree at all. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Um, But um, as I like did more research, some of the, the statues that were being fought over were put up, in the 70s or the 80s as just specifically defiant uh, gestures to to intimidate the population who is there. Yes. And um, and so that's a situation where the context is really important. Um, and so I guess this song, I was just thinking about how we have our own versions of what we think history is, but what's important is to do more research and talk to more people and recalibrate like what our idea of capital H history is. And I think that that's such a, um, 
it's such a big topic to tackle. Um, and I think that on this song, you do it so with such like a, like, like you said, sort of like an economy of words um, that I think makes it really powerful. And I think those, it, it, I think it also leaves it open to, um, you know, like some of the best uh, work out there, the best written work, uh, open to sort of other um, interpretations. I know that like the first time that I listened to the song, uh, you know, I, it sort of struck me as like the idea of um, not not just like the history of a place in terms of its, you know, its structures and its, um, you, you know, the, the like the march of time, but also of like the idea of the like ghosts of old relationships or like past selves and that kind of stuff. And I think that that, um, yeah. I think that that adds like a, the way it's written, I think adds power to sort of both interpretations. Um, if that makes sense. Oh, that, that makes perfect sense. And, um, something that was different about writing this album is normally I'm the only thing I feel comfortable talking about is how I feel. You know, that's the one thing I'm sure about. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and, and so um, in the past, it's, it's, I feel this way, you know, this is how this thing is affecting me. And on this record with the lyrics, I was trying to kind of put a dual meaning into a lot of them that's still saying, you know, I'm, I'm walking around this town and it's making me feel this way, but I wanted to point it towards external things that were happening and, and make it feel relatable to the moment as well as uh, like on an emotional level, relatable. And I think it accomplishes that. And I think it also does so um, uh, thanks to the fact that it's a, uh, it's a duet, I guess. How did that decision to sort of add that extra voice um, come about? And what do you think that it, that it adds to the song uh, on the whole? Oh yeah. So that's Johanna and, uh, she, in my opinion, she saved the record, ah. <laughs> um, but uh, she's an, an old friend and a really great uh, solo musician in her own right. And uh, we uh, live in the same neighborhood and go to a lot of the same shows. And I'm always a little nervous to ask someone to collaborate with me if we haven't collaborated before, um, because, you know, it's a pretty intense thing to, especially with this band's. I need it to be exactly the way that I want it to be. And so I don't want to like boss around someone. Uh, so I, I spent a long time working up the courage. And finally it was like, I would love if you sang on this record. And she came over and uh, I was planning on just doing this song um, because it, it seems like a much more powerful statement if there was more than one voice saying it. Uh, but it ended up just, going so well and and i really loved the way our voices sound together so she sings on almost every song on this record um and it was all in the last i think two weeks before i had to turn it in so the whole record was was me until you know for like a year and then at the very end it just like got way better <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say at the very least it, it sounds like it would have been a very different uh a very different record yeah totally Taking time out, taking shelter to wait out this inclement weather. And when you hold me, it's so much better. It's enough to drown out the thunder. 
now moving on to track number three, Storm Cellar Heart, um, who's mm-hmm. I think has one of the best uh, song titles on the record. I really something really struck me about that one, uh, and I wonder if 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 there's a uh, you know if you want to spend a little bit talking about the significance of that title and also maybe the idea of like because um, I think this is something that is that is covered in the song a, a little bit like what the what's to be gained I guess right now from from seeking refuge and sort of going inward uh, sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, there's definitely uh, a lot to be gained from uh, taking a break from Twitter or the news cycle and, you know, checking in with yourself. Um, I, I think that's really important and it, it gives you perspective when, when you come back out and you're ready to, to face the external world. And as someone who's very introverted and, and pretty prone to um, anxious feelings, um, having the idea of a, a storm cellar heart that you can kind of retreat into and recharge is something that's really important to me. Um, but I, it was important to me also Uh, I think there's a conversation about self-care that can get a little out of control where um, a person can justify any selfish decision they make by saying, you know, well, you know, I need to take care of myself or something. And so I, when I was writing this song, I was kind of bouncing between those two poles where um, it's important to push yourself sometimes and um, you can't live in a storm cellar, you know, you gotta, you gotta come out at some point. And so I decided to end the song with the question of, uh, is it storms that help make the heart grow? Mm. And as soon as that line was down, the song made sense to me. It, it's a question instead of a statement. Yeah, I love I love the fact that it seems like we keep coming back to the, there's been these like aha moments for, for a lot of these songs. That feels like a really, that must have been sort of a, um, a grat- I don't know if gratifying is the right word, but like an interesting um and engaging process to like to keep finding these like oh this is the this is the thing that's going to make this song click oh yeah definitely i think that's that's a huge part of the writing and sometimes the thing that makes it click is a lyric or a concept and then sometimes it will be musical where it will be a a harmony or a, a specific instrument comes in and then i'm like oh okay this song's good it's not just some acoustic guitar yelping or whatever <laughs> and i thought that, that also on this one like speaking of that speaking of like a, a moment when something comes in and you kind of have a a little light bulb go off over your head um i thought that the that especially on this one but i mean also throughout the record that the um the the woodwinds added so much depth um to this track uh, which, which on its own would have been would have been a really like sweet um you know sort of piano piano driven ballad i thought that it there was such a texture that came in, um, you know, whenever whenever those appeared, and I was just wondering if, um, if if that was, you know, what sort of your process was or thinking was behind the, you know, that that sort of arrangement decision. Oh yeah, um, I hadn't really had a chance to put um, any woodwinds or reed instruments into my music before. I. Uh, didn't have a lot of like formal music training. And so uh, I think I have some sort of complex of like, I should stay in my lane. Um, And 
but I was in Boston. I was um, recording uh, with with an old friend, Dylan, and uh, he was just like, oh, yeah, like I can kind of play bass clarinet. And I was like, oh, I don't even know what that instrument sounds like. And so he got it out and it's like this huge instrument, you know, almost looks like a saxophone. And it made this booming low sound that kind of reminded me of the way a cello makes your chest feel like Mm. it just, it like just shot out warmth almost. And so I was like, oh my God, like, uh, let's, let's put this all over the record. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so this was the first one that we tried and, He's a brilliant musician, great percussionist, but uh, he just hadn't played this instrument in a really long time. I think like there was still like cigarette taste from the last person who had it. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it was pretty intense. But um, uh, so we just did lots of takes and kind of spliced it all together. And I really liked how it sounded on its own, which is how the intro of the song came about, is it's just like six clarinets cut up and stacked on each other. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then a little bit later, I met uh, Gabe, who plays saxophone and uh, and the band Wilder Maker. And uh, uh, I thought there need to be some high sounds on top of it to balance it all out. So that's how that came about. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think it it really um, you know it really does make a uh, uh, makes a big impression on on that song at least for me. Um, moving on now to number four, we've got Shedding Skin, and I know that this one opens with, like, some actual sort of, like, some bird sounds and some, some sort of field recording-y sounding, um, what, I don't know, I guess sounds, (laughs) sounding sounds. A lot of these songs, I think, and I think maybe especially because, you know, this is a record that is so grounded in nature. Um, mm-hmm. They sound like, you know, they have sort of that quality of landscapes or places. And um, that made me wonder, um, you know, how that, you know, if, if that is a deliberate, um, you know, thing that you are, that you're going for in the writing process and, and then how, you know, how that affects the the construction of a song and also like sometimes even like which comes first like the words or the sounds or is it is it different for each for each track oh those are interesting questions and uh i guess i have trouble staying in one place for too long um and so i'm very rooted in brooklyn now but if any friend is going on some sort of small tour and has an extra seat in their car or something like that, I'm pretty often getting out of town. And, um, and so the, my songs are definitely rooted in a sense of place, but I like the idea of it not actually being a place. It's more of kind of this, this hyper reality um, that's collaged together. And so mm-hmm. like, I feel like new history can be about um, an Appalachian coal mining town and be about Brooklyn at the same time, kind of. Mm. Um, and so uh, with Shedding Skin, I have an image in my mind of 
some walks in the woods where I see snakeskin and, and uh, cicadas, uh, like the shell that they leave behind. But also, um, you know, I wrote a lot of that song on a Greyhound bus going through Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, so um, the reality of how it came about is so different from what I think about when uh, or what the, the lyrics evoke. Mm. That's really interesting. And I know that like all, you know, all over that song, there's sort of, you know, as you, as you, as you alluded to, there's sort of this idea of, you know, rebirth or starting over or molting, you know, and, 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 and I, I, I have my own sort of um, ideas about this, but I'm just wondering like uh, some of the reasons that maybe you think that that's such an appealing idea um, at this point in history, either for you personally or just like for humanity in general. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely the personal versus political kind of uh, thing going on. But uh, on a personal level, uh, I think it's so important to keep your mind open that you have uh, destructive behaviors or that there's assumptions that you have that are deeply held that are actually untrue. And um I guess I, I've been trying to meditate on that a little bit more and just really open myself up to the idea that I can be different. And that um, I think it was really powerful to spend time uh, in, in forested areas. And um, when I did see all these cicada shells hanging there and seeing all, all these ways in nature that animals not only just change a little bit, but literally get rid of their whole bodies. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's part of, part of their growth to becoming an, you know, mature. And I was thinking about with myself, especially, but with, you know, plenty of other people, there's this tendency to, as you get older, to get more uh, unchanged, un, you know, inflexible with your beliefs. And I want to be the opposite. I want to just know that uh, I don't have the answers and that I need to to seek them out mm. and yeah I think that's something that that yeah that it's is sometimes hard to hard to remember so it's nice to get a reminder uh like like this one um I also really liked on that track I just to, to mention really quickly the um the the banjo throughout there I thought that was a really nice um uh touch and I felt like it was a um a sort of a signifier of that, that sort of like older folk tradition, but like, you know, cast in maybe a new, newer light. And maybe that touches on a little bit of what you said earlier about, you know, your songs existing in sort of multiple places at once. And I think that that, after I heard you say that, I was like, oh, that, that actually kind of, you know, makes me reconsider what I was thinking about <laughs> even just those, you know, those sounds from that one instrument. So I think that's, Oh, that's, that's really great. I, I think that banjo is uh, it's a very evocative instrument. It's it's one of those things where people hear it and they're like, oh, it's this kind of song. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I think I do push back against that a little bit. Um, I remember reading a long time ago, just some kind of, I forget even who wrote it, but it was just some small review. And the person said, there's no doubt that banjo is a mystical instrument. And uh, I've kind of carried that with me. Like I do 
think that it's almost a, a relative of the sitar or something like mm. that. Yeah, uh, that's that is a that's a really interesting yeah comparison. Huh? So come to pass is next uh, song number five on uh, the record, and uh, it, it's another one that that sort of. Um, uh, to, you know, sort of offers a meditation on those, like the double meanings of of like mm-hmm. inner life and outer nature, and also the like um, maybe like the power of of letting go of some of you know the some of our some of our the, the myths that we hold, you know, both both personally yeah. and as a culture. first song that got written for the new record mm. and uh it got written on um my lucky five string guitar uh-huh. uh, and normally when i finish a project i'm pretty empty of ideas and so i need some sort of uh flicker so uh, i take this five string guitar and i just try out different tunings that you know don't make any sense <laughs> and so that's that's what happened with this one and um I was having trouble thinking about what it would be about. And then I heard this interview uh, where this person was interviewing people who were wearing Make America Great Again paraphernalia. Mm. And they were asking them, when was America great? You know, what what era are we going back to? And um, there wasn't really any sort of convincing answer <laughs> that anyone could think of. <laughs> and um, and that just really got me thinking about kind of the power of false nostalgia mm. and um, how that's such an easy impulse to fall into. Like, oh, this, you know, my senior year of high school, wasn't that amazing? You know, and then you actually start thinking about it. It's like, oh, God, I'm so glad I'm not there again. Yeah. Um, and cafeteria and so, pizza, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I I think I wanted to yeah be able to look clearly at the mirror and and interrogate anything that that is imagined to be a golden age. Mm. And yeah, and I think that that is again that's such a um, it's such a a big and sort of necessary topic to talk about, and I and I think that. Uh, you know, on this track and on this record, I think it's something that, that yeah, you're, you're able to do in such a, um, a very human way and a very sort of like approachable way. I think that that is, um, that requires, you know, such a deft hand to do that. Oh, I, yeah, I appreciate it. And yeah, this one was a bit of an experiment to where the lyrics I've been told at least are, are pretty depressing or down. I, a lot of people have told me their read on it is just, uh, you know, things aren't going to work out or something, mm-hmm. um, which is not exactly what I meant to say at all. But the music is very smooth. Um, in fact, I think it, it keeps on Spotify getting added to these playlists that are just like 
easy Sunday listening or like <laughs> German coffee shop or, you know, something like that. Um, and so there's like a musical element that's like very calming about it and, and like easy listening. But then the, I think the, the lyric, the lyrics are kind of challenging. Um, and so I, I think once it started to go that way, I, I decided to fully commit to the idea of just having this, this clash between music and lyrics. Mm. <laughs> kind of a, it's almost a, uh, like a spoonful of sugar <laughs> situation. <laughs> Totally. So now we're getting to uh, to a pair of songs on the record that that I feel like uh, are sort of in uh, in conversation with one another a little bit. The the first of which is uh, track number six, "Waves Breaking." And that one, uh, again, speaking of like existing in multiple places at once or working on multiple levels, like this one um, felt to me like in addition to the ideas of like the, of like wrangling with sort of political life and inner life, you know, was also sort of very directly about the the current sort of state of the environment and the and the sort of natural world as well. And I, I, I thought that the, the thing that struck me the most about it was that um, the, it, it felt like it was coming from a place of not necessarily like not not anger or hopelessness like like you might, perhaps expect from from a song about you know that on that topic like described to you but it, it, there, there there seemed to be a sense of just like a general almost like an awe in the song and so i'm just wondering like how you wrestle with the sort of like the the beauty of a situation like that that's also like can be kind of bleak as well oh wow that's that's an interesting way to phrase it i really like it um yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this one's pretty openly about climate change, and uh, I wanted I wanted it to start off very slow um, and and serene, and then you kind of feel the energy pick up, and then it just is full chaos by the end. Mm. Um, and so I wanted kind of the music to do the talking more more than the lyrics. Um, but in writing the song, you know, there's, it's another big topic where there's a lot of things to say and a lot of them are obvious. Um, but I kind of decided while I was writing it that maybe my allegiance is to nature instead of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I guess it's a really weird way to say it, but you know, if, if we're so dumb that, that we can't figure out how to live with the other billions of living things that live perfectly symbiotically with each other if we're the only things that can't figure out how to do that then you know it probably makes sense that the earth is like flushing us out or something yeah maybe we're the um, problem yeah <laughs> yeah and, and so uh yeah i i thought a good angle to write about is is um that 
we can't be so prideful as a species and, and, and think that we don't have to listen to these warning signs because they're just going to keep getting more powerful. Yeah. And it, you know, as I was listening to it, like it, it brought up, um, you know, some, some other sort of, uh, I feel like at least for me, there were like, there were some echoes of other sort of songs about the sort of a temp tempestuous ocean kind of thing. Like I, I, f I had moments where it reminded me of like, surfs up by by the beach boys or like the there's an old um tv on the radio track from a hurricane katrina benefit compilation from back in 2005 and i was like oh that's that's kind of coming to me as well so i think it's 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 located sort of wow. in a um it's located for me it was located in that that sort of um tradition but sort of had like this sort of new interesting take on it and wow uh, Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's, um, that's interesting. Um, well, I was gonna say also then, you know, you mentioned that capturing sort of the idea of like the, of, of chaos through the, through the, through the music and letting the music do the talking. Um, and I think that that is something that is one of the most appealing parts of the song from a listening experience is you do really get a sense of, um, especially with the, you know, the, the, the saxophone work, um, of something like barely being like held at bay but like not not for long the way that like the sax sort of like skitters around like deep in the mix and then like emerges every so often i was wondering just like what your um in terms of of you know building this song from from a you know composition standpoint like how you set about capturing and translating that turmoil into into the music oh yeah this one was from a mixing and, and composition standpoint by far the hardest one on the record um I kind of committed to the idea early on and then I was like why am I doing this like I don't even know if it's good like it's like fully it's just like a concept that I have to um see through um but when you're working on a song it's strange how quickly you can lose objectivity um especially with different volume levels or if a part is happening too often um, and the best moment to be able to work on something is if you've taken a break from music and you come back a couple hours later or something. Mm. And so for the end, end of the album process, this would always be the first song that I would turn on so that I could try to hear it with fresh ears. And I would usually just make a couple of tweaks. Be like, okay, saxophone needs to be louder here and softer here. And, um, you know, and, and so it kind of, over time, it, it became the thing I wanted it to be, but it wasn't without every day feeling like it was uh, really bad. <laughs> well, from there we move from from the sort of chaos of um, waves breaking, we uh, move to No Dominion, which uh, goes sort of in the in the uh, opposite direction. There's a very it's it's a very sort of maybe not stark, but a, a sort of unadorned. Uh, song and I was just wondering what the thinking was behind that shift and behind like placing them back to back on the record. Oh, 
I wanted them to, they're very spiritually connected, these two songs. And I wanted Waves Breaking to be very external and, and grandiose. And I wanted No Dominion to tell a similar story, but uh, all internal and um, still very dramatic. But, um, you know, there's no way that our inner cosmology isn't affected by um, kind of the out of control nature right now that's that's happening around us. Mm. Um, and uh, so this one... I'm always trying to figure out how open to be, but I get emails pretty often from people who uh, help, you know, who listen to my music to help with like uh, mental illness and stuff like that. And I'm really happy that, that it can be a resource and I try not to think about it too hard because um, it's just a weird way to think about your own music. Sure. But I'd gotten, um, I started a correspondence with this person who uh, my music was really important to them and their friends. And it was just, um, it, it was kind of involved and intertwined into their life in a big way. And I decided that instead of ignoring that, I would just write one song on this album that's meant, uh, if yeah, I'm kind of meant to tell someone not to give up and that like, mm-hmm the world is going to try to numb you and, and some people aren't able to be numbed. You know, they just feel everything all the time and it makes the world really, really hard to live in. And so I wanted to write a song that said, you know, that there's a storm inside of you, but you're going to get through it and like, you're going to find peace. And it took a while to be able to write that and, and mean it, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's, uh, I don't ever, I, I hate when songs say everything's going to be okay. <laughs> it's like my pet peeve. Um, but so I wanted, but I did kind of want to say that, but in a way that, that I believed. So I thought it would make the most sense to place that song right after metaphorically, like this huge storm happens. Um, then it's like, it's still okay. Like you still are strong enough inside that you're going to make it through this. And I thought that the, that, the way that you that you that you said maybe not everything is going to be okay, but but the sort of this song's um, version of of reassurance, the uh, the line "peace is more than just a season," uh, is just such a such a lovely thought, and I and and I was wondering like, um, you know, what sort of that phrase means to you, and maybe how how you hit upon that, and if that was one of those sort of maybe aha moments where, where you go, Oh, this is something that, you know, this is, this is the thing I've been looking for. Oh yeah. Um, that is my favorite lyric on the album, I think. And, uh, so much. So I, I say it twice, um, in, in mm. two different songs. Um, but I think one of the mistakes I made in my thinking was that a lot of my music before now has said, everything's a season and you might have a bad season right now, but don't worry, it's going to get better. Um, and in a sense that's true, but um, I don't think I believe that things just get better on their own anymore. Mm. And so peace is a thing that you achieve through action and, you know, inner peace is, is through action as well as um, having a more peaceful society it just takes constant, work um and and so uh when i realized 
that error um, in my thinking before. I just wanted to really emphasize that, uh, you know, it's peace is something that you have to want and it's something you have to work for. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think, and, and, and also I think that that, it, it was so powerful to me because also like if, you know, if peace were a season, then that also suggests that there's something that comes maybe after peace or that peace is like this sort of temporary, yeah, this temporary thing. But I think that that is a really interesting and affecting way to, um, to sort of offer a little bit of a balm in these, in these times. Um, yeah, this really, I think that was a lyric worth, worth repeating. Yeah. <laughs> Number eight is Mountain's Shadow, and I was reading that this is um, specifically about some specific mountains and specifically about um, the Blue Ridge Parkway. Is that is that right? Yeah, you're right. Um, so is this inspired by a real... I love, just full disclosure, like I'm, I'm a huge um, Blue Ridge Parkway fanboy. Like I love, I've driven it a few times now and I'm, I'm totally, <laughs> totally smitten. So I was wondering, so this was a, was this a real actual trip through the, through the parkway? Yeah, it, it was. Um, it's also a really important place to me. Um, there's just, it's just absolutely beautiful. And the first mountains I can remember seeing as a kid were the Smoky Mountains and mm. in, in the Carolinas. And um, yeah, I just have really positive associations with that region. And uh, as much as we can on tour, we'll route it so that we spend some time, you know, in Asheville and, and, mm. and go, go through it. Um, and so this this song, you know, it just tells the smallest little story. But um, I think, at least for me, I'm, I'm a little manic. And so my heart can be really closed up and um, it feels like I just can't. Uh, uh, just feel positive about anything. And so I was having one of those moments on tour and then for some reason seeing the mountains just, it felt like I like was exploding with, with happiness all of a sudden. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about that uh, and also just the tricks of the light that, that happen when you're in mountainous regions where the sun can just be blocked out and it almost seems like nighttime when you're in a valley and all of a sudden you, you turn the bend and, and everything absolutely changes. And uh, these changes of perspective um, and, you know, a mountain maybe being something that, that is big that you have no control over. And the more I thought about it, the more I just wanted to tell this little story. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. And I think that's such an... Um... I, I, it makes me really happy that that is a personal story and a personal experience because I feel like the, you know, it touches on such a um, timeless idea, that sort of idea of passing through like a shadow and, and the ability to emerge from that and the joy that's felt at the end of that. I mean, obviously that's prevalent in so much folk and traditional music and writing from, mm -hmm. you know, throughout thousands of years. And I, yeah. And so I was just wondering, like, 
I, I mean, I guess now I know I was going to, I was going to ask what Dreed is such a classic theme, but you experienced it. It's such a, that's, that's a really, that's really interesting. I wonder just how you, um, how you, if, if you were sort of cognizant of that as you were writing it and then like how you made that your own a little bit or joined in that sort of conversation with people from, you know, thousands of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love, uh, old, old timey folk music and, uh, I remember hearing the field recordings that Alan Lomax did for the first time years ago mm. and it completely changing my perspective uh, of, you know, you could just put a, a little tape recorder in, in a room and hear these traditions that had been passed down for hundreds of years. Um, and so I, I really love the idea of folk music and music that everyone can play and, and that it's, um, a cultural tradition instead of an individualistic like hey look at me kind of thing um and so as i started writing it i was aware that it was like drawing on a lot of the imagery you know the, the valley of the shadow of death and, mm. and uh you know all these all these um folk traditions and i thought yeah it's um i think i want to do this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I feel like that, that's something that's so appealing with, you know, with m music, especially music that is in or adjacent to the folk tradition it is this idea of like, there's so much that's come before you. And there's so much that, that you are, you know, you are almost like communicating with, um, with this culture and with the people who came before you every time you write a song that I think that makes it really um, an interesting and gratifying experience. So speaking of classic themes, um, I think another one pops up on um, the ninth track on the record, the second to last track, uh, Nightingale Sing. Um, I was also reading, you know, in some of the uh, press materials that this one is inspired by Aesop. Yeah. Um, and so I uh, just, uh, yeah, like, and so speaking of like, I mean, that's, that's another thing that like goes back, um, you know, has been sort of a, a touchstone and a touch point for um, artists for thousands of years. I was wondering what you find um, and why you find like his work st still to be so relevant. Yeah, well, this one was kind of a freak accident. Mm. Um, I uh, I was um, musically, I wanted to try out something in a different time signature than I'm used to. So mm -hmm. I, I was working on doing something in 5-4 time and I was really stuck on the lyrics. And uh, I went on a trip and I had uh, some pretty bad insomnia. And so I, uh, are you familiar with ASMR videos? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so I, I like uh, was listening to some like whispering so I could fall asleep. Mm. And uh, it happened to be that this person was, was uh, whispering at Aesop's fable oh. um, about the nightingale. And so kind of, the funniest part to me is I fell asleep at some point. I only heard the first half of it. Huh. Um, I've, I've heard actually the meaning becomes, a, the moral becomes a lot more muddled by the end. Mm. But the part that I heard was um, 
you know, this nightingale that sang really beautifully and, uh, all the, and, and the nightingale lived in deep in the woods. So only the workers knew about it. Mm. And the king eventually heard that there was this, this really beautiful song and he wanted to hear it, but all of the upper class people around him had no idea where to find this bird. Because uh, they didn't hang out with commoners, mm. and so he, you know, went through a lot of trouble. And I think the daughter of the cook or something uh, knew where to find him, yeah. and brought him into the court. And uh, the and the king loved it for a while, and and brought everyone around and said, "Look how beautiful this! You know, listen to this beautiful song." And then eventually, the king started to get bored, and <laughs> someone made a wind-up mechanical version of the bird that had jewels on it. And the king was like, well, this is so much better. I'm huh. going to listen to this ro- robot bird. And then the the nightingale, uh, I believe, escapes. And that's when I fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was thinking how completely apt that, you know, at, at, it, at the music industry at its worst uh, for me is, you know, when I feel like I'm creating value for just some corporation mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, someone seeks me out because I'm representative of some artistic energy that like they're too evil to have. Um, and so it, it just seems like a very timeless story of like when, when you're being sought out by those types of people, like they oftentimes don't care at all about the art you're making. Like if someone made a robot version of you that or like a hologram, uh, they might like that better. Um, and and so it was kind of uh, my my way of saying, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll do that kind of thing sometimes, but I'd much rather fly back and, and be with my people. Right. Yeah. And I think it touches on some of the like, um, or like nods at the, the, the you know, the, the trade-offs that you have to make when you deal with, with that sort of scene and that sort of you know those sort of people that there's never it's you know you can't it's really hard to sort of have it all um if you know depending on what your definition of of all is i suppose and so it's you know having to think about that and having to sort of define that for yourself is something that you you know needs to sort of happen in the beginning and not like midway through because it's you know it's one of those things where midway through might almost be too late (laughs) yeah totally but um also, I guess it's worth mentioning that, um, that, yeah, it's a nuanced issue and by mm-hmm. no means is it easy to figure out or that there's like one specific perfect way to live. Um, it just felt like it gave me some agency to say that before I do a bunch of compromising things. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, and I also think that it's really interesting, too, because it's I mean, the song is is, uh, is a little bit more than meets the eye as well, because, um, you know, it begins as this as this beautiful sort of sort of ballady type song. And then there's this sort of um, a little bit of like a stuttering, like breakdown for a second before the instrumental, that you know, comes around like 2.15 or so. I was just wondering what mm-hmm. what that was meant to represent or why that was um, something that, that made it into the the final song and what what it sort of how it serves the rest of the song. Oh yeah. So are you talking about the kind of the expansive instrumental at the end? Yes. Or, yes, yes. Um, well, actually yeah, both, both um, the sort of the expansive instrumental and then also the little like transition to that instrumental, I guess, too. Oh yeah. Um, well, I guess because I was kind of on this tip of, of just, um, you know, wanting to feel 
agency through this song and, and wanting it to be exactly what I wanted it to be, regardless of if anyone else liked it. Um, it, it felt really symbolic to add these elements in that to me are really beautiful and kind of transporting, but uh, wouldn't, you know, maybe would make the song inaccessible uh, to someone who's just trying to hear uh, a verse and a chorus mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I guess that sounds a little selfish. So, uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I guess I try to sneak experimental elements into my music as much as I can. Um, but I, I'm still kind of a pop songwriter at heart. Mm-hmm. And so this, and a song about feeling free and, and flying away, I thought that these types of meanderings and, you know, I left a couple of mistakes in there and stuff like that, but it just felt like it all served the idea of the song of doing exactly what's inside of you. Mm. That's really, that's a really good answer. And I, thunder, a warning shot upon drop down swear. So we've reached the end of the record, uh, the final track, Thunder Follows. Um, and I know you've mentioned that that um, that books were uh, some of your inspiration during this writing process. Uh, and I was reading mm-hmm. that, th- that this song in particular was um, inspired by a book called The Hidden Lives of Trees. Uh, and I was wondering if you could if you could tell me about that. I have not. That is not one that I've read <laughs> yet. Oh, wow. Well, I highly recommend it. And it's this uh, German botanist who uh, is doing groundbreaking research on how sentient trees are, Mm. but only in old growth forests. Um, If you just plant a tree in your yard, um, it acts one way. But if you have trees and all these, a whole ecosystem where they've been around for hundreds of years, uh, there's all this complex communication happening and uh, another writer termed it uh, the wood wide web, <laughs> huh. I really like. But, you know, like, for instance, um, I guess what I really liked about it is we're kind of given this Darwinistic idea of nature, and it's just fight or flight and fighting for resources and whoever's the alpha wins kind of thing. Um, and from reading this book, the, the forests that uh, are the healthiest there's trees that are keeping each other alive because one produces a pesticide uh, and the, the other one is doing something else. And there's actually these uh, colonies of mushrooms that are so smart that they're leading the roots uh, to the right places that have nutrients. Oh, wow. um, and uh, so it's, it's a very cooperative environment and when you think of a forest, you think of the tallest tree getting the most sun. So it's, it's doing the best, but, uh, actually the, the short trees, uh, develop really thick bark. And then eventually when the tall trees fall down, then the short trees are really, really strong, um, and can exist longer. 
So like at a, at a tree farm or whatever, if you just try to get it as tall as you can, as fast as you can, they're really weak and they're not very rooted. And, um, and so, yeah, just all these, to me, I was reading it. And even though it was about trees, I was just like, this might as well be about social theory or something, or this is like, I feel like teaching me how to be a better member of, of a community with other people. Um, because so much of what it's saying is to be patient and to, uh, yeah, be patient, not think about yourself too hard. Um, and think about literally think about the forest instead of the trees. Well, yeah. (laughs) Oh man. That's a, yeah, that's a really, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) Um, uh, and I also noticed that in this song, um, it, this is, I mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier um, during talking about No Dominion, but this is the second appearance of um, Pieces More Than Just a Season. I was wondering why that was a line. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about why it was a line that, that you liked and why, um, you know, you wanted to return to it. But I was just wondering what, um, why you think it fit in this song in particular instead of any of the other songs on the on the record. Yeah, well, so on the outside, the song's about trees and stars and, you know, all those pretty things. Uh, But it was kind of my way of trying to talk about underground communities. And I'm, you know, I would say an aspiring uh, activist. Uh, I certainly don't know enough and don't have a good enough resume to say that I am one. Um, But the people I meet on tour the people in the city who are doing like really great work um it it reminds me of this idea of uh having this really powerful underground where everything's rooted but it's kind of out of sight um and I've just been taking a lot of inspiration from people low-key building things together that aren't meant to be seen above ground but they're Mm -hmm. just trying to help each other out and so if there was an antidote to the the first song of that the storm is coming and, and everyone watch out, you know, uh, the antidote would be that um, the, the answer, you know, answer part of it might be changing the president or something really grandiose. But I think the answer is figuring out how to exist in communities again and how to listen to each other better and how to build build things that aren't top down, but instead are are horizontal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, I guess I wanted to say those things, but in the, in the language of nature where it's already happening. Mm. And it does, it it ends. um, I think like you said, it does, there, there, there is a sort of a sense of um, hope for at least like the possibility of change. Here, like, yeah. like, it, like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like we're there yet, but it, it feels like there's maybe a path towards that. And I was just wondering, as a, you know, as we sort of wrap up here to sort of end on a, an equally like hopeful note, I was just wondering what, uh, what's given you hope these days? Hmm, what's given me hope? Well, I've been using the internet quite a bit less, and uh, I've been making an effort to get to know my neighbors better and. Uh, I think the thing today that's giving me hope is that uh, we had a band practice yesterday in my apartment and my seven-year-old neighbor 
came up uh and knocked on the door and just liked the music and just started playing drums to it awesome (laughs) and uh i got to know her better and uh just like those moments of feeling connected to like the other people in the apartment and the community and all of those uh that's you know if i could feel that way about everyone in the neighborhood or something then we would have real solidarity and be able to i think take care of each other a lot better well, so so basically, what you're saying is the kids are going to be all right. <laughs> the kids will be all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, Jordan Lee, of mutual benefit. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It was such a uh, delightful way to spend a morning. Oh yeah, thank you so much. I've been senior writer Tyler Clark here with Consequence of Sound, talking to Jordan Lee of Mutual Benefit about the new record Thunder Follows the Light. Thanks so much for listening to Track by Track. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review this series, Consequence of Sound, on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Or hey, share it with a friend or on social media. You know, it helps make sure we can keep dishing out our music journalism in audio form the more people that you tell about it. You can also follow Consequence of Sound on the Consequence Podcast Network on Facebook, and be sure to check out all of our other music, movie, and television podcasts. Just head to consequenceofsound.net to explore all of our series. Consequence Podcast Network.